thank you, Jesus, that you are our God. And you never change, Jesus. You're always the same.
Praise him for his faithfulness this morning. Hallelujah. We thank you, Lord. Yesterday, now, and always. You are faithful, Lord. You walk with us, Jesus. And we will give you glory. For you are a good God. And you're working all things together for our good. We praise you, Jesus. Who oh, praise the name of the Lord. Let's worship him together this morning. Who oh, praise his
you are and all that you've done. And we thank you for what you shall do. We thank you that you shall return. You shall establish your kingdom. You will throw away evil. And you will establish righteousness forever. Lord, we love you and praise you. Lord, we pray that you would Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Now, the emphasis was not on the return of the Lord, but the suddenness. The suddenness. The suddenness. You can talk about something and know about something for a lifetime, but when it happens, it happens suddenly. You can be waiting and waiting and waiting for those kids from Georgia to finally come for the holidays, but then you doze off in that chair and knock, 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 suddenly, you see. And and when, when something is suddenly, there's no time in that moment to get ready. One must be ready. So though everybody would agree that knows God in any stretch that Jesus is returning, the Spirit wants to remind us and urge us, make sure you live continually ready because His coming is in a sudden thing. So when it does happen, 
there's no time. One must be found ready, not getting ready. Lord, help us to live lives that are ready for your return or ready to breathe our last breath and see you face to face. Help us not to live slothfully or spiritually lazily, but help us to live daily, properly, holy, ready to see you and to be seen of you. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Praise the Lord. Amen. Praise God. I think we can weave that into our message this morning, so keep that in the back of your mind. Hallelujah. Well, good morning. Amen. It's nice when you just live ready. Then you don't got to get ready. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Children, you're dismissed to Children's Church. Amen. All our little ones, Sister Amy will take you to Children's Church. And if our adults would turn to Judges chapter 14. Judges chapter 14. We're in a short series on the life of Samson. It's just a four-part series. So we're just taking broad themes. In this morning's title, Act 2, Seeds of Triumph and Seeds of Tragedy. Everything has a beginning, doesn't it? <laughs> Sometimes you forget where the beginning was, but everything has a beginning. So if you have your Bibles, Judges 14, we're just going to read the first seven verses. I encourage you in your devotional time to Read all. If you're not familiar with the life of Samson, read, read all these chapters, just a few, and they'll bless you. The Bible says, Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I've seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me. Get her as a wife for me. His father and mother replied, Isn't there an acceptable woman among your own relatives or among our, all our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, get her for me, she's the right one. His parents didn't know that this was from the Lord who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines, for at that time they were ruling over Israel. Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and mother, and they approached the vineyards of Timnah, and suddenly a young lion came roaring towards them, and the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him, so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands, as he might have torn a young goat. But he told neither his father nor mother what he had done. Then he walked down and talked with the woman, and he liked her. Seeds of triumph and seeds of tragedy. Remember the book of Judges? We said at that time there was no king in Israel. The Bible says every man did what was right in his own eyes. It was a time of no submission to divine authority, no alignment with divine order. And we know when those things are lacking, it's just a recipe for trouble. Trouble's on its way. It was a time, the Bible says, that a generation grew up, not Joshua's generation, not those in his group, but behind a generation grew up that knew not the Lord, nor the things that he had done. A generation grew up that did not know the Lord personally, had not experienced His power and His glory personally, had not made a commitment personally to serve Him. 
and honor him. In Samson's day, we said because God's people had left that righteous path and had compromised their call to separation from the nations and exclusive devotion to God, they were under the heel of the Philistines. They were defeated and controlled and oppressed by the Philistines for some 40 long years. And the sad part that we mentioned last time was they were content about it. Everybody was content about it but God. i got news for you. There's a whole lot of things church people get content with that God's not content. Another sermon for another day. But God was not content. He began to stir up Samson, and Samson wasn't content either. Samson was raised up, the Bible says, to begin the deliverance and to defend God's people. It would be completed by David generations later. And we said last time that Samson had a great start. In the first sermon, Act 1 was parents and promise, parents and promise. And we touched on this. And we said that it's not how one starts, but really it's how one finishes that matters. Hey, of course we all want to have a a start well, but man, it's more important that you finish well. I want to exhort everyone this morning, young and old alike, friends, let's finish strong in our walk with God and in our service to God. Let's finish strong. I know some that grew up in this thing, but they've drifted. It's time to return. There's others that at one time in their life they sensed the divine call tugging on them, but they left that thing. It's time to pick it back up again and run after God with all your heart. Today is a new day, and His mercies are new every day. And you can start this day, and you can finish strong. It starts now, though. It starts now. For those of us that are here and we're walking with God, friend, let's keep looking and living and running after Jesus. We've come too far to turn back now. Let's be determined. We're going to fight this fight of faith to the very end. And if there is going to be a falling away in the end times, it won't be us. Come on, it won't be us. Others can fall away. Others can go back to the old ways. We're going to finish with Jesus. We're going to walk with Jesus to the very end. Our message today, seeds, seeds. Everything has a beginning. That didn't happen overnight. Seeds of triumph, seeds of tragedy. You see, between chapters 14 and 16, there's possibly about 20 years, 20 years between these chapters. What will eventually happen in chapter 16, the, 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 the terrible story of Delilah and Samson's ultimate collapse, well, we see the beginnings of it. Everything has a beginning. We see the seed sown 20 years earlier. In this chapter, things that Samson ignored in his life, things that Samson refused to address and deal with that ultimately became his undoing. Galatians 6, 7 and 8. Let's look at this verse together. Galatians 6 and 7 and 8. The Bible says, don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. How many know that? Amen. Amen. A man reaps what he sows. Now listen, that can be for good or for bad. Sowing and reaping, amen. I saw a good number at Sunday school this morning. You know what? You're sowing good seed, aren't you? You're making an investment to grow in God. I mean, so this works both ways, but in Samson's life and illustration, it's the negative. The one who sows to please the sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. Sowing and reaping. The one who sows to please the spirit, you see, You can use this in a positive. From the Spirit 
will reap eternal life. Now Samson, as you'll see when you read the whole chapter, he gets out of this mess. But he never considers changing his ways. And therefore, the inevitable cannot be avoided. I remember reading the story about a head coach of the Denver Broncos back probably late 60s, early 70s, and um, he was explaining at a press conference his departure, and he was um, asked why he was stepping down at this time. And he explained his departure. He says, I left because of illness and fatigue. People looked at him. He didn't look sick. He didn't look ill. And he said, no, the ownership and the fans were sick and tired of me. We're sick and tired of me. And you know, folks, sometimes God, when a person mocks God's mercy, rejects his warnings over and over, refuses to turn and change, God sometimes says, enough, enough, enough. In Samson's life, for instance, the early seeds, the early stages, in Samson's life, we see Samson's refusal to listen to authority. He wouldn't listen to his parents. He wound up paying for that down the road. He wouldn't listen to his parents. How many know the Bible says you ought to honor and listen to your parents? Amen? And we see in Samson's life, he took light spiritual things. He broke his Nazarite vow like it was nothing. And then he tells a joke about it. If you read a little later on, he's going to tell a joke about it. He lacked self-control with women, with his tongue, with his temper. He'll be betrayed by this woman later on in the chapter. And it won't be the last time that he gets betrayed by a woman that he shouldn't have been with from the beginning. Can you say amen? And of course, it's clear when we study Samson, even at the early age, disobedience to the word of God. He was commanded not to intermarry with the nations of the land, yet he's doing that. He had a Nazarite vow where the Bible was very clear of things he should do and he shouldn't do and he needed to do and avoid so forth. But friend, listen, a casual attitude towards the word of God has been the downfall and the destruction of many a life and many a calling. A casual attitude towards the word of God. And again, like we said, it's going to be some 20 years. 20 years seems like a long time, but when it gets there, it gets there. Takes him 20 years until Samson wakes up in Delilah's lap of compromise. The Spirit of the Lord that he knew so well and was used so mightily, the Spirit of the Lord departs from him and he doesn't even know it or recognize it. He's soon to be blinded, bound, bruised by the very people he was sent to overcome and defeat. Such is the deception. Such is the deception. For those who misread God's patience for allowance and God's kindness for weakness. It begins here, though. It begins here. The things that God in his mercy, the things that God, in attempting to prevent Samson from defeat and failure, God doesn't want his people to fail. God doesn't want his people to leave the good way. God doesn't want his people to have to suffer foolishly for things. He tries to send warnings. He tries to, to turn us back on the right path. And the things that should have brought a contriteness to Samson, maybe repentance, maybe a sobering, a waking up, like i got to get things together. Instead, he ignores them, disregards them, 
and ultimately they become his undoing and his disgrace. But let's remember the first man I got to lead is me. The first woman you need to lead is you. Before I can lead others and tell others what to do and try to manage the world and tell the government what to do, I got to take care of myself in my own house. Somebody say amen. Again, we see very early on Samson's life, there's rejection of authority, both the scriptures and his parents. But then he ignores the warnings, the many warnings, and we're going to expound on this in a little bit, the many warnings that God and his mercy sent into his life to keep him from his ultimate disgrace, to put him back on the right path so he could fulfill his calling and enjoy the blessing that God desired to give him. And of course, with Samson, there was taking lightly of all his spiritual privilege. Samson, as we said last time, parents and promise, Samson had a good and godly upbringing. Samson had a divine calling, and he recognized the anointing from a very early age. The promise of God was spoken over his life before he was even born. He grew up with godly parents, praying parents, worshiping parents. He grew up knowing the presence and the power of God. He was exposed to all that. Friend, do you know how many people would just about give anything to have that? How many people have I met through life? They were raised in abuse. They were raised with abandonment. They would give anything to grow up in a house that loved the Lord. To grow up in a house where the father was there. To grow up in a house where the mother wasn't addicted. Oh my goodness. And Samson had such blessing and privilege. How many know much is required? To whom much is given? And Samson did not value all the spiritual blessing and privilege that he was given. Friend, don't take lightly your godly heritage. Don't, don't just take for granted the godly heritage that you've been blessed with. You've been blessed to be raised in a godly home. You thank the Lord for that twice a day. I mean, you thank God for that. And you remember all those that grew up with abuse and abandonment that woke up one day in the middle of life a mess and they had to start at the beginning. Oh, what they wouldn't have given for a father that would have woke up a little earlier and got them to Sunday school. What they wouldn't have given to have a house where a mother and a, and a father loved each other and honored and respected one another. Oh, God, somebody say amen. Esteem and cherish and be thankful for your godly heritage. Samson took it for granted. Samson just disregarded it. Dr. Warren Wearsby writes, according to Hebrews 11 and 32, Samson was a man of faith. He's in that book of faith. He's in that chapter of faith. Samson was a man of faith, but he certainly wasn't a faithful man. There's a difference, isn't there? He wasn't faithful to his parents' teaching, his Nazarite vow, or the law of the Lord. It didn't take long for Samson to lose almost everything the Lord had given him, except his great strength, and then finally he loses that as well. Samson was his own worst enemy, a product of his own decisions his own desires, and his own faithlessness. Lessons from Samson, and there are many. Let's take note this morning. One of the greatest ways to protect your life, your dream, your destiny, from seeds of sorrow and tragedy are to respond to the warnings of God, to build good barriers of holiness and righteousness in your life, to stay 
within the boundaries that God gives all of us for our good, not for our bad. These things, heeding the warnings of God, will demand of you and I an honesty and a transparency, a humility and a surrender. But friend, they'll save your life, they'll save your marriage, they'll save your calling, they'll save your destiny, they'll save your soul, they'll save your reputation. To avoid a Samson-like ending, four warnings that flow from the heart of God, four warnings that flow from the mercy of a heavenly Father that doesn't want you, that wants to prevent you, that wants to keep you from fall, from disgrace, from defilement. Number one, the warning of the Scripture. Everybody say the Scripture. 1 Corinthians 10 and 11. 1 Corinthians 10 and 11, the, the warning of the Scripture. God starts out easy, amen? You don't got to work up into a tizzy. You don't got to wait for a prophetic word. He says, I actually put it down where you can read it, and so you can avoid things that want to derail your life and, and deflate your marriage and take away your calling. I, God says, I have given you a book. Here it is. These things, Paul writes, these things happen. He's talking about some negative things that happened to the Old Testament people that brought judgment. And he's writing to the New Testament people saying, listen, learn from their mistakes. Isn't that right? Hey, did you ever find out that it's a whole lot easier to learn from someone else's mistakes than your own? Anybody? It doesn't hurt nearly as much and it certainly don't cost as much. Isn't that true? I'd rather learn from someone else's mistakes. And God says, listen, in my word, there's a great man of history that was getting his picture painted. And, and the artist said, how do you want it? He said, warts and all, warts and all. Make it real, make it real. You know, God leaves warts and all in that Bible. He doesn't just give us the good part. He even shows us the negative parts of his men and women to teach us what to avoid and to warn us and keep us from that path. God's good. These things happen to them as examples. And they were written down. They were written down as warnings for us whom the fulfillment of ages was to come. The warning of Scripture. Paul writes to that New Testament church, and he's explaining in this context some Old Testament examples of disobedience and judgment so that the New Testament church won't make the same mistakes. Again, warts and all. God gives us his word. He teaches us. He instructs us, not just so that we can live in strong faith, but also so we can live faithfully. Not just so that we can grow and advance, but also we can avoid the things that would try to entangle us and deceive us, trip us up. Samson knew the scripture. Again, you can start with Adam and Eve. Learn from their mistakes. There's Cain and Abel. Learn from their mistakes. Hey, David was a man of God, but God didn't keep back the negative, did he? He let it out there so we could avoid those mistakes. We go on through the word of God, Israel or Moses, Solomon. Mistakes and errors recorded to help us, to warn us that we'd avoid those things. Let's learn from their mistakes. Samson knew the scripture. He knew that mixing with foreign women was forbidden, that it would lead you astray, and it still does. How many know that? Spiritually foreign, still a problem. He knew the command of the Nazarite vow. It was explained clearly how he was to live, what he was to do, what he wasn't to do. Listen, friend, the Bible is one of the best friends that you'll ever have. The Bible is one of the best friends you'll ever have. And so much of it is written, so, it's so clear, 
It is so easy to understand a great majority uh, that anyone that's sincere can receive from heaven the encouragement, the comfort, the direction, as well as the warning and the protection that comes from God himself. Isn't that good? Isn't that a privilege? Isn't that a blessing? It'll protect you. It'll shield you. It'll guide you. It'll instruct you. It'll promote you. It'll exalt you. The word of God will advance your life. Listen, many, many things never need to be prayed about. For the scripture is perfectly clear in the matter. And that's the warning to keep us from the negative. God doesn't want your marriage messed up. God doesn't want you losing your divine call. God doesn't want you backsliding. And then you wake up and, you, and you're 40 saying, my God, where, where, where did these last 20 years go? He doesn't want that. He loves you too much for that. So like any good father, he gives you proper warnings and boundaries to protect you from those things and to help you in your decision making, to warn you when you're in danger. Number one, the warning of Scripture. The Bible is a safeguard. Number two, the warning of others. The warning of others. You know, the Proverbs talks often about there's safety in the abundance of counsel. Amen? There's protection in the abundance of counsel. But the warning of others, specifically authority figures, parents, teachers, pastors. It's amazing. The older I got, the smarter my dad got. Amazing. Amazing. How much smarter he got when I was 25 than when I was 15. I, he wasn't very smart when I was 15. He was just tough, amen? He was just hard and tough and on you. What's that, like white on rice, man? He just, that was it, amen? It's amazing. When I woke up and I married and then down the road had kids, amazing how brilliant my dad got. Man, oh, now I know why. Now, amazing. Just amazing, amen? And listen, the warning of others is one of the things God gives us to protect us and help us and keep us. We should all thank God for parents, for peers, for pastors, coaches, teachers, brothers and sisters in the Lord that will love us enough to be honest with us. Samson's parents tried to stop him. He didn't listen. Notice the first time going down, no friend went with him. No friend was going with him. It's dangerous when we become a law unto ourselves and no longer will receive godly counsel. See, Samson stopped listening. And friend, that's a dangerous place to be when no one can speak into our lives. Amen? I've seen people when the matriarch or spiritual patriarch or the family dies off, they, they, they almost they start backsliding almost immediately. They get, they, no one can talk to them anymore. The only one they could get through to them was that one person in the family. Well, thank God if you had that one person, but there's others. Amen? And so let's never become to the point where no one can talk to me and no one can speak into my life, but that's a trick of the devil. We got the warning of Scripture, the warning of others. How about the warning of the Spirit? Amen? Doesn't Colossians 3 and 15 talk about the peace of God to govern our hearts? Amen? And when there's a lack of peace, that also governs. That says stop. Peace says go. Up tightness, a little friction. Stop. Tony Evans writes about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit helps us to discern. He's like a burglar alarm at home. When it goes off, you know somebody has come into your house uninvited. It's like the smoke detector that goes off and you know something's awry. It's like the metal detector in the airport. It goes off, makes that beeping sound and gives us an alert to check something out. Something needs to be looked closer. These alarms help us to know that something is not quite right. In the same way the Holy Spirit 
works like an alarm to the soul. So when the Holy Spirit is waking you, convicting you, your conscience, something is speaking to you, listen, don't ignore it. Don't roll over and go back to sleep. And please, please, don't take the batteries out of that thing. Keep the batteries fresh. Can you say amen? It's a safeguard. It's there to help you. It's there to help you. When we stay tender and sensitive, then the Holy Spirit can guide us and speak to us. I want to say it again. God doesn't want our lives messed up. He's a good God. He's a loving God. He's a wonderful Heavenly Father. He doesn't want divorce. He doesn't want that's not His will. And he tries to give us clear instruction in his word. He tries to give us the Holy Spirit within. He tries to give us people around us that can help us. I'm thankful for the old timers that went before me that spoke into my life. I've had a lot of good mentors. I thank God for that. I've had pastors, and most of them are with the Lord now. But I thank God for them. They spoke into my life when I was a teenager. They were straight with me. As I grew up, they were always there to counsel me. I thank God for that. The word and others and the Holy Spirit... So whatever you do as a Christian, please, 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 don't harden yourself. Don't turn off the voice of the Holy Spirit. I mean, Samson was a man who had the Spirit of God come upon him. I mean, mightily. I mean, miraculous power. In this chapter, it's not only does he tear apart a young lion with his bare hands. Later on, it's going to come upon him. He's going to slew 30 men single-handedly. But yet, when we get to our last chapter in a couple weeks, he gets to the point he didn't even recognize the Spirit had departed. Notice this, though. It was a gradual spiritual erosion. Twenty years' worth. But finally, hard, blind. So stay tender. Don't, Don't grow hard to his voice. Get fresh fillings of the Holy Spirit. Keep your prayer life good. Keep your praise life good. Amen? When the Holy Spirit speaks to you, don't grieve the Spirit. Obey the Holy Spirit. And and again, don't ignore the clear Bible instruction. Obey the Word of God. Amen? Take it strongly. And please, remember, your atmosphere affects you. If you're in a carnal atmosphere, you're going to get carnal. If you're around people that are callous to the things of God, you're going to get callous. But stay around others that are tender and that love God. And it's striving to walk with God. And that will rub off on you. we got the warnings that God gives us. He loves us. Amen. I still give my, my I, I still, I got a speech for everything. Amen. They'll say amen to that. I mean, if, there, if there's a topic that comes up, I got a story, I got a lesson, I give them a point on it. I mean, you can't, I mean, that's it. I'm going to do it until I'm a million years old about Jesus tarries. I'm just going to, I'm going to, they're my kids. I'm going to pour anything I know, I want them to know. Anything that's blessed me, I wanted to bless them. Amen? So God gives us his word. God gives us the gift of others. We ought to thank God more for the gift of others. Amen? I've had others in my life at times that back then I thought, man, they're kind of a pain. But I look back and say, man, I'm thankful for them. They were a pain, but I probably needed a pain at that point in my life. Warning of the Holy Spirit. Amen? And how about this? You ready for this? The last one here. The warning of close calls. The warning of, deli- the warning of close calls. You ever have a close call? You ever have a close call? Did you learn anything from it? Did you learn anything from it? Listen, the, years ago, a lot of books were written on Samson. 
when all those preachers were falling and all that stuff was going on. And I remember one article, the Samson syndrome. When people assume that because God is still blessing, that he's approving or accepting certain behavior. Because remember, you sow a seed, it doesn't become an oak tree overnight. But we, we think that because judgment doesn't happen immediately, that somehow God's okay with it, or I can get away with it, or I'm a special case. And we start misinterpreting the patience of God for the God doesn't care. We start misinterpreting the fact God's just trying to give us time to get things right for, hey, I'm someone special, and I can break the rules. The Samson syndrome. It's a trick of the devil. We don't take for granted the mercies of God. People believe like Samson, hey, the Spirit of God came upon me. He says, St. Samson, that's God's mercy, bro. He's not pleased with this foreign women stuff. He's not pleased with this nonsense you're pulling. He wants you to wake up. If you don't wake up, but nobody looks down the road what's going to hit until it hits. Because they get out of a jam, they think they can handle things. But listen, every close call ought to humble us, ought to awaken us, and ought to remind us of how much we need the Lord and we need to live right. Can you say amen? amen? Samson took God's grace for granted, took God's kindness for weakness, but one day the spirit left, the roof caved in, grace walked out, and the only one that was surprised was Samson. Somebody, don't tempt the Lord. Wake up and get off that road that's leading you the wrong way and get back on the road God wants you to be on. Somebody say amen. I scribbled that down. That came Friday afternoon. Spirit put right there. Seeds of tragedy. Seeds of tragedy. See the beginnings of this fall of a man of God. Because everything has a beginning. Seeds of tragedy, chapter 14. These, we're talking character flaws, moral weaknesses, areas of disobedience that God wants us to recognize, to confess, to repent of, and to change, to avoid reaping the harm. I'm going to say it again. God doesn't want you reaping that harm. Friends, the Bible's clear. God's not willing that any perish, and he's not willing that his kids go through things they don't have to go through. Because he wants to bless us. His desire is to exalt us and promote us and smile, make us fruitful. Amen? He wants to keep us from these things. Seeds of tragedy. All right. Did you have enough of that? You can be honest. Did you have enough of that? I could preach. I, 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 I preach it. I preach it until we come to the altar. But I want to get to the second part. Seeds of triumph. Seeds of triumph. Now, under Seeds of Tragedy, in about 10 minutes, when we close down, we'll open the altars like we always do. And if God's dealing with you, if there's something that you haven't been addressing, and you, and you know it's something clear. I'm not talking about some, you know, somebody else's opinion about things. I'm talking clear things you know, black and white. God says, no, it's time to get them right. There might be something in your heart, and you know the Holy Spirit's been grieved, and you need to finally make it right. We're going to give you that opportunity. 
Listen, God wants it to go well with you. God loves you and wants it to go well with you. When we studied a while back, we had a nice long Wednesday night study from, I think it was Deuteronomy 8. And he talked about bringing them through the wilderness and the testings and the different things. He says, and the Bible says, so that in the end, it will go well with you. That's the will of God for his people. In the end, he wants it to go well with us. So if God's speaking to you, please, don't just leave. Don't, don't throw it off like Samson did. Make a fresh devotion. Make a fresh commitment. And make things right in your life so that it will go well with you. Amen? All right. Seeds of tragedy. But now seeds of triumph. And I want you to look at this. And it's not very long, but I just want you to write it down. I want you to think about it. You let God speak to you. Seeds of triumph. In this chapter, we see some things God introduces into Samson's life to confirm his calling to inspire and motivate the direction of his life, encounters, revelations, um, visitations that are meant to unleash desires for godliness, release desires that are the burden of the Lord, release desires that will direct him down the path of his destiny. This happens in the life of believers. Number one, let's notice here in this chapter, Samson experiences the power of God. First time we read the power of God. Last chapter it was stirring him, but now it really comes upon him, and he does some miracle things. He experiences the power of God. Friend, there's nothing like experiencing the power of God. Do you remember when you experienced the supernatural power of God in your life? I mean, some really got a baptism in the Holy Ghost. Amen. It came upon you with power. You can still think about it. You might have been 12, 13. You can remember it. I could, 15 years old, I can remember it as sure as I It was powerful. It was an encounter with God that was just supernatural in every way. I was never the same. Never the same. But notice it. Seeds of triumph. Number one, he experiences the power of God, and there's nothing like that. Friend, you can experience the power of God in your life, and you can defeat that old devil that's trying to tear you up and mess you up, that type of that devil. Just like that lion tried to destroy Samson, and the Spirit of God came on him, I want you to know if you'll walk with God, that same Holy Spirit will come upon you and enable you to defeat the lions in your life. Come on, say amen. Again, do you remember when the Spirit of the Lord came upon you? Remember the first time you really received a mighty baptism of power? Maybe the first time you prophesied like a volcano went off and you said, my Lord, what's that? Wow. The first encounters and experiences, they're intended to inspire his life's ambition and to confirm his life's calling. You ever preach that first time you taste a real anointing? Life is never again the same. When you taste something supernatural, divine, from another realm, just never the same. Never the same. Never the same. Tasting the power and the blessing of God should inspire a person to want more of it. To be willing to pay a price, to walk in a greater measure of it. And of course, to cherish it as the holy gift of grace that it is. Friend, cherish the anointing. Cherish the gift of God. Don't, don't let it die. Don't let it just become an old memory. Keep it fresh. Keep it full of burning brightly. 2 Timothy 1 and 6. 2 Timothy 1 and 6. Uh, uh, Paul says, fan into flame or stir up the gift of God that is in you. For this reason, I remind you, Timothy, fan into flame. New King James says, stir up 
the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. The, the fire of God is in you. The gift of God is in you. But you've got to keep it burning bright. You've got to keep feeding that faith. You've got to keep getting in the presence of God. You've got to keep exercising that faith. Don't just let it be a memory of yesteryear. Let it be a present reality that God can flow through you now, today, for his glory forever. Hallelujah. These are seeds of triumph when a young person really has their first encounter, divine, out of this world, supernatural encounter with the power of God, nothing like it. The rock scene can't add to that. The drug scene can't add to that. If you've ever been touched by the real power of God, it's different than anything else you've ever met. It's greater than any kind of worldly stuff. That's why nominal Christianity kills generations. Because the world will give you something better. But when you get the real thing, when you get the power of Pentecost, this is Pentecost Sunday. We're not ashamed to say we've been clothed with power from on high. Well, gifts are not for yesteryear. The gifts are for today. They're flowing for the glory of God. And when you personally experience the power of God, it ought to do something in your life. It ought to make you unsatisfied with the common Christianity all your life. It ought to keep you hungering and thirsting and pursuing God's best until you see him face to face. Stir up that gift. I prophesied 20 years. Stir it up and prophesy again. God used me to minister and lay hands on the sick. Well, stir it up. Stop watching so much TV. That clogs it up. Get back where the power is. Samson took it for granted. He treated common a very holy thing. He treated common something he should have cherished. Instead of greatly appreciating the touch of God. Friend, if you've ever received the touch of God's power in your life, cherish it and hunger for more of it. Don't be satisfied with the yesterday. God can do it today. God wants to do it now. God wants you walking in a greater measure of his anointing than you ever experienced. Aren't the needs still great? Isn't the hour still horrible? Isn't it time where God needs more men and women that know the power of his spirit to do his works in the earth? Make yourself available. He experiences the power of God. You can have that power again and again and again. It doesn't have to be just something once in a blue moon. You can walk in it if you pay the price. Not only was he experiencing the power of God, he was exposed to the purpose of God. He was raised up to fight Philistines all his days. From that moment on, he never stopped fighting Philistines. For such a time as this, he knew what he was born for. He had a that's it moment. You ever have a that's it moment? You see, God chooses, we discover. God chooses our gifts, we discover our gifts. God chooses the call, we discover the call. I don't choose. God chooses, I discover. Then once I discover, I dedicate myself to moving it and developing it and walking in it. He was exposed to the purpose of God. Something awakens in the heart of a person when they're exposed to the purpose of God for their lives. Your heart is awakened. You feel God's burden. You feel God's excitement. 
You feel God's compassion. It reveals something to you. shows you the path to take. It shows you the battle to fight. Oh, my God. I'll never forget years ago, I was in Detroit, Michigan with Brother Shambach. And we're a large church. The whole team wasn't there. I think it was just me, him, and maybe Christina was there. It came time for him to minister, and he did something different. The Spirit led him in a different way than normal. I think even before he began to preach, he felt led to pray for people with deaf ears. It's a big congregation, so he said, who's got a deaf ear wants to get healed? Come on down. And so let's say, let's say uh, 10, to, 10 to 12, let's say 12 people came down. Then again, he felt impressed to do something different. You know, before the service, we're in the pastor's office, and the pastor's telling them about everything God's doing there in the church and the different ministries. And, and just that earlier, a few months earlier, they had just started a Bible school. They were training young men and women for the gospel. So I'll never forget, he turns over and says, Pat, preacher, where's all these young ministers you've got in this church you were telling me about? Tell them to get down here. So he took that 12 people standing this way in a line with deaf ear. They came down. He says, get in front of each one. He grabbed the one in the middle. He says, now you do what I do. Just do what I do and say what I say. I never, he stuck that finger in that ear. <laughs> he was a good six foot man. He took that finger. You foul deaf spirit and then it, come out. Everybody did it. Come out. I mean, folks, I'm telling you, 11 out of the 12, immediately, their ears popped open. That last one took a little longer. They got it. Never forget that. But then what I really remembered is that he, he was a unique man of God. But afterwards, we're leaving the church. And he looks at me and he says, Joe, we accomplished two things with that. As I had mentioned, I said, man, that was different, Brother Shambach. That was awesome. And we accomplished two things. He says, number one, it gets people's eyes off man. Instead of everybody looking at the one man, going to do that all. But secondly, and this is what I remember, it exposed those young ministers to the power and the anointing of God. And once God starts using you like that, you'll hunger and thirst to move in it again and again and again. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? And that's why, don't just write off these encounters you have with God. Don't just write off these encounters at an altar. When God speaks to you, God touches you. God's saying, we can do more of that. I want to do more in that. You can press into a deeper measure in that. Exposed. Experiences the power of God. And he's exposed to the purpose of God. You get around something and all of a sudden you'll feel a great burden. You get around something, you maybe feel great anger or maybe a great joy. And God's beginning to show you, that is it. That is it. That's your calling. That's your burden. That's your ministry. That's where your effort is to be. That's where your focus is to be. I remember years ago, and I just, I just remember, I had an old, some old notes. When, when Sam, Brother Sam Bowden, you know, he, he's, he's over a certain section of the entire world for our, our denomination now. But you know, he's just a little nine, ten-year-old boy praying before he goes to bed. And the Spirit of the Lord met with him. Gave him a burden for the nations. Seeds, seeds. Just a nine, ten-year-old boy. No one could imagine. 30, 40 years later. But that seed, the burden of the Lord came in his heart. 
the burden of the Lord. You, you couldn't keep him away from the nations. God's hand gripped his heart. And all of a sudden, the nations became his passion. Samson was exposed to the purpose of God for his life. And when you are exposed to the purpose of God for your life, something comes alive in us. Something is unleashed that should move us to a greater hunger, excitement, and a determination to do God's will. God's communicating to us our purpose. Sometimes we'll get exposed to something out where we'll see the need. We'll see the, the emptiness. We'll see the Goliath. We'll see the sheep without a shepherd. Sometimes we're exposed to something outwardly and inwardly. Something comes alive. Something awakens. And there's a witness. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. Samson's first encounter forever drove him to be at war with the Philistines. He was born to this. It was his calling in divine purpose. In a conversation one time, someone was asking, and we were just talking about who you are. I said, push me out of a plane with a parachute, and wherever I land, I'll start shepherding sheep. Put me in, uh, you're a pastor. That's all you, it's your, it's your, it's how you think, it's how you feel. The evangelist thinks a little different. Teacher thinks a little different. But when all of a sudden, God's purpose. Seeds of triumph. God brings us and exposes us to our calling and our purpose. It's hard to shake. It's hard to get away from. And something within us comes alive. Inspires life's ambition. Directs our life's choices. Leads us into our purposes. It awakens a divine drive. When you meet it, it drives you. It drives you. It drives you. It directs you. It disciplines you. You'll sacrifice for it. You'll take your babies and go over and try to get gypsies to know Jesus. You'll, you'll pick up kids when they're just growing up and you'll take them to another land and a different language. But when the calling drives you, when the burden of the Lord drives you, it comes with not only divine direction, a divine discipline, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, whatever it takes. We're going to get there. We're going to get the job done. But there's something greater than yourself that drives you. Samson's finding this out. Seeds of triumph. He experiences the power of God. If you have ever experienced the power of God, maybe you got baptized in the Holy Spirit at a teenage convention when you were 15 and you've drifted and you've strayed. You can get it back. Hunger and thirst for it again. Say, God, I want it again. God, I want it again. Everything else I've been messing with, nothing compared to that time I really met you and I heard your voice and I sensed your power all over my life. Seek him again and he'll let you find him. Seek him again and he'll fill you afresh. And all the times when you begin to see the burden of the Lord for your life, go after it. Give your all for it. Do whatever you can do to fulfill that call, to carry out that divine burden. Experience the power of God. Exposed to the purpose of God. And lastly, he was touched by the passion, emotion, and burden of God. God touches your heart. And these two or three kind of flow together. God often, God's callings are often initiated and communicated through the divine burden. 
God shares his heart with us. God shares his heart with us. Amen? God, you'll have a burden. Others won't explain it. Uh, others might not walk across the street and you'll give your life for a certain group or a certain, I mean, something happens. Something happens when this, when this takes place. God shares his heart. We feel what God feels. Some people have such a burden. They could be homeless, unwed mothers, drug addicts, certain nations, men's ministry, women's and children. Rangers, mission, some have a, God touched them. It's a God thing. God just gave them a, they cry about it at night. They weep for things the rest don't weep about. They'll sacrifice for things we don't give a second. Something when God touches your heart with his heart, you're never the same. You're never the same. I had a dear lady in one of my churches. She's with the Lord now. She had a great job with the, with the state Great job with the state of New York. She said, but I read an article one day. And she goes, you know, you're always reading these sad articles in the newspaper. I read an article about two people that had died in, a, in a, um, like a nursing home because they weren't cared for properly. And she goes, you know, Pastor, you always read sad things. But I could not, for weeks, I could not forget that article. She goes, it's like it haunted me. So finally I said, Lord, what are you trying to say to me? And the Lord said, Mary, it's time for you to build, I want you to build a nursing home and give them proper care and proper respect. She goes, I just had enough with the state where I could take a long break of absence without throwing away all the pension and stuff. And I went, she goes, I bought my first home and it just had maybe two rooms. And I did it because I had some nursing skills and I hired someone. And one the time I saw her, she had a big, beautiful house, a beautiful part of Elmira, New York. Must have been 10 or 12 people they took care of. Took care of them with, with respect, with proper care. It was a beautiful thing, all, known all over that place, that because God's burden touched her heart. God's burden. She, she left this, she left that. She stepped out in faith, gave her own money. Why? Because God. We wonder where some great ministries come from. They come when God touches someone's heart with his heart. And when God touches the heart, there's a drive, there's a devotion, there's a faith, there's a willingness to sacrifice. This God is moving us. Mm. Hallelujah. May God share his burden with our hearts. Can you say amen? All right, that's it, that's it. Oh, wow. Samson Act 2. Seeds are signs of tragedy, seeds and signs of triumph. Things to address, things to develop and stir up. Now it's our move. Now it's up to us to respond. When God shows us an area or warns us about a behavior, let's not brush it off or excuse it. Let's address it. Let's overcome it. Let's respond to God's voice. And when God's spirit begins to stir us, let's fan that into flame. Let's go after that, amen? Let's develop that. Let's go with it. Again, it's not how we start. 